You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 581, weird Christmas gifts, the man who collects number one hit singles, the worst decisions in music history, and remembering Jet Black. That's all coming up after Cherry Ghost and People Help the People. God knows what is hiding in that weak and drunken heart. I guess he kissed the girls and made them cry. Those hard-faced queens of misadventure. God knows what is hiding in those weak and sunken eyes. A fiery throng of muted angels given love. Getting nothing back or peace. 
Cherry Coast have rebooted this year after a seven-year break mm. and returned to playing live. This was their one and only UK chart single, yes. number 27, in the summer of 2007. Cherry Ghost and People Help the People. It's a marvellous song, and it's sung beautifully as well. There was, a, I think, a successful cover version by Birdie, which did the rounds for a while. Um, but and that might have been a bigger hit. I don't know. But um, but that that was that is marvellous. Um, my understanding is they're a bit of a one man do, aren't they? It's Simon yes, Aldred and, and some other people. Indeed. But um, but yeah, I, I I really like that. I think it's great. And and I'm sorry that they never had another one to match it. If you see what I mean, because it's a marvellous song. Welcome along to Parish Council episode 581. I'm Terence Stackham. And in the week that our tell-all Netflix series drops worldwide, mm. here she is. It's Juliet Harris. Indeed. God, can you imagine Netflix making a series about us? I, <laughs> I'm not sure if it would have too much content which wasn't interesting enough or not uh, enough content which was very interesting. I'm not sure. But anyway, yes, I haven't, I haven't watched this yet. I haven't watched a minute of it, no. No, and uh, to be honest, I'm not even sure if I'm qualified to say yet, really. I mean, I, I was, I, you know, when they said it was announced, I have to say when I opened the 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 weekly email I get from you with the menu on it, I opened it with trepidation, oh, thinking yes. we might end up talking about it. So, um, so in that sense, we've had a bit of an escape. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, good morning, everyone. I'll be telling everything and nothing, baby. <laughs> um, I have a question for you, Juliet. Oh, go on. What's wrong with me? Why <laughs> I am mean, I, I mean, how, how long are we recording <laughs> for this week, Satine? Why am I out of step with society? Oh, oh just, now just, this is a more familiar question. Yes, indeed. Go on. What's what's upset you this week, Satine? Well, before, just before we, we started recording, I saw the Christmas Day TV schedules. And oh, okay. Why do the TV channels taunt me so? Because Christmas oh, night on mainstream TV in the UK, just very quickly, ITV dominated by Anton Deck's Limitless Win game show, apparently. But here oh. we are, BBC One. Wait for this. Okay. This is in order on BBC One Christmas uh, evening. Strictly Come Dancing. What time what, are we starting at? So oh, roughly. I don't know, six or six okay, thirty. Fine, or something. All right, yeah. Strictly Come Dancing. Michael McIntyre's Christmas Wheel. Call the midwife and to round it all off. Mrs. Brown's boys. It must be me. That's an evening from hell. Yet the viewing figures will probably hit new heights. It's me, not them, Juliet. That's all I, I mean. I mean, I mean, the Call the Midwife is the only thing I would watch in that <coughs> really? lineup. I genuinely, really enjoy Call the Midwife. I think it's often extremely well crafted. It's one of those programs on TV which. In, there is an argument it might have been going on for too long, but it mm. equally remains remains interesting. It's um, all sad and people dying all over the well, place. Well, but there, but there's usually there are usually uplifting bits in it. Mm. My friend of mine rather rather um, crudely yet like, amusingly once described it as the peopled friend of television, which I thought <laughs> was quite a quite a nice hit. But um, I know it's good, isn't it? But um, but what I quite what I what I like about it is some of the storylines in it. Oh, really? Quite radical. You'd think okay. this was a really chocolate boxy thing. Yes, I've and never seen it. I have yeah, to well, well, I would, I would, I, I mean, there is an argument. How much more can they do? But they often do really the way that they deal with radical things like the thermidamide scandal, um, abortion, um, all sorts of kind of really crunchy stuff. And you'd think, oh, you know, it's all pretty pillar box kind of, you know, picturesque postcard stuff. And it can be. It's been really radical. I've seen a few about dealing with consent and things like that and given but given this is sort of set in the late 50s and 60s and 70s it's 
it's fabulous. I, I'm a big fan of it. That is great. Everything else you can pretty much <laughs> put, put in a large envelope, <laughs> seal it up, put yes. it in a dustbin and take it away from my house, I must say. The, the appeal of Mrs. Brown's Boys continues to be deeply <sighs> lost on me. Don't get it. Thanks to your um, The Guardian. Oh, excellent, I've been, yes. Yeah, I, I've been looking through their list of the best oh. arts-related Christmas gifts. Oh, what am I getting for Christmas from you, Sati? This is exciting. Well, it's a question of deciding which of these is okay. best for you um their their first suggestion is a fear eats the soul tea tray it's a homage (laughs) to Rainer fassbinder's 1974 classic movie only 140 dollars that'd be something i think you could keep in your kitchen bring out for guests fear eats the soul when you're serving up i mean that that is that is stunningly inappropriate which i very much admire i'm less admiring of the price i think that's a little bit overpriced and a bit bit unfair on your thing although i do like the idea a friend of mine and I used to talk about unusual home security systems. So, like, not necessarily, you know, one of those things with an alarm. Um, my ex-partner used to keep a cricket bat next to the bed. <laughs> so, so and, and once occasionally ran downstairs in a state of <clears throat> what I can describe as not not incredibly dressed, um, waving this cricket bat because she thought that we were being burgled and it turned out that the cat had knocked a glass of water over downstairs. I've, I've, my sympathies were for the cat. who yes, must have been treated with quite a sight at that point. This could be an in-home security system, couldn't it? What yes. better fate than a, for a horrid burglar, presumably in a, in a black and white stripy top with a bag yes. swag on it and a mask, because that's how they dress, isn't it? But for them to, to be... In a Home Alone style, belted yeah. around the face with a tea tray that said, fear eats the soul. That that would that would be the, the main selling point for it for me. All of these gifts currently genuinely available. I've got for you, uh, this is a slightly cheaper option, I think, the Shining Socks. Oh, um, yes, I would like these. These sound great. These are made to the same pattern as the carpet yes. in the Overlook Hotel where many terrifying scenes were shot in Stanley Kubrick's horror movie, The Shining. Um, cheer up any Christmas morning, I feel, opening up the little package, and there you've got uh, that is, uh, you that, know, the that Shining genuinely, genuinely, well, how, how much are they, Satie? Have you got a price on that? Um, I haven't got that in front of me. I'll try and find well, that out. Seems, that seems more affordable. And actually, yeah. you say this, a, a dear friend of mine, I think she still has it, for ages, her handbag had the same pattern on it as the shot, as the carpet uh, in The Shining. Right, so so yeah. I think there's a whole range of those. Now, I'm a huge fan of those, Sati. That would be great. If they're less than 20 quid, then yes, please. I've got the, I've got the cost of this next one. This is genuinely available from Catch Catch Skinner Ceramics. Um, pull right. Up to the, pull up to the breakfast, baby, with a lovely Ooh. Grace Jones egg cup. Um, <laughs> great. It's a miniature bust of Grace with a lovely cup <laughs> in the top to capture your boiled egg. 25 oh, quid. I mean, again, I feel that's rather overpriced. But having said that, right. the idea, I, I, the sentiment and the idea I very much embrace. That is excellent. These are getting better as they're going along. Well, I've got two more, two final ones to tempt you with, right. my two favourites. Okay. I've got the Doggy Parton sequin dress guitar and wig for, for, for <laughs> dogs. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That's available at doggyparton.com for $25. <laughs> I mean, that that is a frippery, but goodness me, how great. I mean, it is one of those presents that's basically designed for Instagram, isn't it? But that is, that is excellent. So. I uh, Also, I would need a dog as well for Christmas. Well, you to would. With it, so, yeah, yeah, you'd need to borrow one for this. But finally, the Rock Cookbook. Um, oh, oh! I've th- seen this. I think before. Thirty yeah. recipes dis- inspired by rock acts. We've got Fleetwood Mac and Cheese. Oh, um, excellent! The Rolling Scones. 
Oh, very um, good. Motley Stew. And... Is, there, is there anything from Ham 69 or Steak Back <laughs> oh, in there? I, I hope so. I, I don't have that, but I can give you Smashing Pumpkin Pie. Oh. Um, but best of all, George, the best thing of all is the title of the book, Dark Side of the Spoon. Oh, I mean, that that is the winner, isn't it? That sounds incredible. I don't know if it was that or I, it might be something different. There have been various versions of this mm. kind of rock cookbook. And I I found one once which had brilliantly a, a guide for how long you wanted your egg to, how hard you wanted your egg to be boiled according to what song you listened to whilst the <laughs> egg was boiled. So obviously, if you liked it very hard boiled, I think they recommended Shine On You Crazy Diamonds parts one to five. Whereas there were a lot of, you know, I think she loves you if you wanted an egg that was, you know, just about boiled, but not, not, you know, not, as, not especially hard. Yes, a very big fan of rock cooking books generally. Yes. And indeed, you know, people, there's some rock stars making a sort of forays into the world of cookbooks. Khalees Rogers, a.k.a. the singer Khalees, um, has various publications and, and I think had a restaurant at one point. She was, she, she had a sort of second life as a, and a, and a television show, I think, as well. Dark side of the spoon, genuinely mm-hmm. yours for ten quid. I mean, that is now. that's the pick of the lot. That's genuinely well priced and entertaining. We, I would like that for Christmas, please. We mentioned last week when talking about seventy years of the UK mm. singles chart that there has been one thousand four hundred and four UK number one hit singles mm. in those seventy years, and it turns out there is a man, Dave Watson of Dunstable, who believes he's the only person who has collected all one thousand four hundred and four, reaching back to nineteen fifty two. Um, I mean, it's good to have a hobby, Jules. I mean, would you start from scratch now and set off on such a journey? The endeavour to own every number one hit single. I mean, I think it's great. I very much admire this guy because I am a collector. So he is sort of the god of collectors, I think. It's worth pointing out, and I agree with you, I probably wouldn't because there are just too many now, aren't there? But but it's yeah. worth making the point that when he started his collection, um, he got, so I love this. I love the fact that it started in this way. He was given a Guinness Book of Hit Singles. Remember uh, them? I've still got um, mine, One yes, Christmas. One so he, he had, his mum worked in a record store. She bought him this book for Christmas, and he said, I just looked at the list at the back of the book and thought oh that might be quite a good idea so he started this mission in 1988 so although there'd been a lot of number one singles by that point they'd only been compared to now we were only halfway through really there'd been 605 number one singles at that point oh, and he right. had he had don't turn around by aswad that he had bought and that was the first in his collection and it's, it's worth saying um that um it was harder in those days. Nowadays, record collecting is perhaps easier than ever in that if you think about a record you would like, if you're willing to go onto eBay or Discogs, you can find anything pretty quickly, really. Oh, I they didn't have these so, things then. Yeah. So he said, I would spend endless hours searching through dealer's stock. He'd, ab- he'd go respond to adverts in Time Out and Loot magazines. Remember those? And he'd, he'd write to yes. dealers. He said, I had a handwritten list that I'd photocopy and take around with me to put the word out. Some would write back to say what they had with their prices scribbled on. I, I'd l- I'd love this terence i think it's so great and he said his wish list had started off pages long then you start putting lines through them your list gets shorter i mean collecting is like a drug i've got to be honest and you think well i actually stand a chance of doing all this once i started building up that just fueled me to keep going what i really love is how he is um 
Firstly, the last record that he bought to make his collection up to date, the sort of the, the first time around, which was a, a 78 RPM record of Lita Rose's How Much Is That Doggy in the Window? I love the fact that that is the one that is yeah. missing from 1953. But now he's trying to work out what to, um, how to deal with um, digital downloads. What do you do with digital downloads? Um he began downloading the number ones and burning them onto CDs, well, complete with a printed out sleeve and label. Does this count? I'm I'm not sure about oh, this. Oh, Terence, I think it does. In 2020, um, he started to craft made homemade. Now that's what I call music style compilations. Uh, for the top hits of the year, and this is surely understatement of the century. I tried to make the CDs look like they've been purchased commercially. He says it's probably a bit old school. Do you think? Do you think? Do you think it might be a little bit old school? Yes, yeah, I think it's just it's a touch. Yeah. But um, but yes, uh, someone they make the point in this Guardian article, the physical sales charts, single sales charts, read like a dispatch from another world. <coughs> At the time of writing this article, which was 18th of November, what do you think was the physical number one single in Britain at that point, Sati? Ed Sheeran. It was uh, Firestarter by The Prodigy, released in 1996. That was... Well, that, 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 is no, that is Isn't weird. Isn't that weird? Isn't that random? Completely random. You wouldn't predict that in a million years. Um, I love it. I think it's... I, I just think it's such a great... Uh, and, and they said to him, you know, how do you feel about the charts these days? And he says, it's not really my taste. But he said he won't stop it. It's like, it's just one of those things. I've gone so far with it that I'd be stupid to stop now. I'm going to keep going as long as I can because it just seems part of me now. It's just what I do. I really applaud Dave Watson and this, this some might say, quite daft quest to keep to keep going, particularly in institutions which is as we've said last week or the week before when it was we discussed this might have come towards the end of its natural life but um i i just i love the idea particularly it's certainly maybe this is the romantic in me but you know the, the in the olden days when you didn't even you couldn't search on the internet for anything you'd no, literally have to rattle around slightly damp parts of southeast london i suspect trying to trying to find all of these all of these records i i just i think it's great as someone that has done in a stupid quest of their own at the moment i don't know if i've revealed this yet on the podcast no, my current quest yeah. I've, I've you know re-embraced enthusiasm for football over the last few years and particularly football kits and football wear oh, um, right. i am trying to collect a shirt either home or away or a warm-up top any kind of football shirt for yeah. every African country that has a football team that's well, in the in the in the the federation, um, so I have seven so far. We're we're well, getting there very gradually. Seven different countries, um, but yes, I am. So someone that has their own slightly yes. useless collecting quest at the moment. All power to Dave. Well, you'll be ahead of me, I kind of feel, but there's an aspect to the article that features Mr. Watson that gives mm. me the strong heebie-jeebie vibes. Uh-oh. There's a photo of him to accompany the article, and in, in this photo, he's lying on the floor, completely covered by his yes. seven singles, which are all obviously very well cared for and in carefully yes. annotated plastic yes. sleeves. They've got stickers on, on them, yep. Indeed, they have. They, 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 on view, there's the Hollies, Sandy Shore, Beach Boys, yes. all the original copies. His head 
is actually lying on the Beatles double A side day trip oh, for a no. week of working out. I mean, is Ouch. he mad? How could he have let the photographer Graham Robertson talk him into chucking all his treasure all around like this? It made me wonder. It really did make me wonder. I think maybe he doesn't care so much for the music, but does care only about the collecting aspect of it all. I mean, Mr. Watson, treat your vinyl with respect. Well, I mean, I, I knew that you would be troubled by I this, just, and I'm, I do. I do see your point, although I would point out in terms of whether or not he cares about the music, it says he doesn't listen to the singles much anymore. He uses his mobile phone to return to his favourites. It's yeah, it's uh, I'm a little sceptical about Mr. Watson. This and his downloading thing. Go on. Get, you know, keep your vinyl going, mate. Don't, don't you can't. But well, there isn't new cheap. vinyl, said he. There isn't. Well, you do, there they isn't. don't even print the top ten anymore. You no, I don't think they do. Oh, he's do. He's doing oh, his okay. best in a ve- in a vexed world. Sorry, to keep Mr. Watson. Going. Thank you, Seti. Coming right up, the worst decisions in rock music history. <laughs> I mean, we've got a few to sift through. Yes, that's next after Kylie.
Kylie Minogue is rather underrated and that's a strange thing to say for a beloved national figure I know she's not really ours but she's sort of one of those adopted British national treasures isn't she really she may be Australian and now living in Australia again apparently but um but yeah she's sort of an adopted Brit isn't she in the same way that Jason is in the same way that Frankie the Tory is you know there are people that are adopted Brits and she is one of them um a, a fantastic singles artist and very much thought of as that I think she's made some really really good albums Albums that I think are really underrated and I think the most underrated of all is 2003's Body Language which has got some fantastic slinky pop on it somebody somewhere, it feels to me had this wild notion that they might be able to turn Kylie Minogue into Prince and parts on this album and weirdly they very nearly succeeded it's a, it's a record that is very rewarding even it will be, t- I can't quite believe it's 20 years old next year, that's extremely depressing because it means I won't be an 18 year old student anymore but it's a it's a wonderful album um i really really like it a great deal and i think that is a real treat from that and appropriately titled is it is very sweet but also also really slinky that is chocolate from body language by Kylie minogue there's so much more to Kylie than the cliche of girl from yes. soap opera makes good she is so talented Who yeah is? very much agree the history of pop music is full to the brim with terrible decisions from uh, Decca turning down the Beatles because the era of guitar groups was over to holding mm. Woodstock 99 on a disused Air Force base with no shelter to the Fire Festival. Even Kanye invading the stage back in 2009 when Taylor Swift was receiving an award mm. for Best Female Video. Rolling Stone has put together an interesting piece this month naming the 50 worst decisions in music history. Mm. And um, we, we were particularly taken by a few of them, including at number 38, that perennial perennial misery, Roger Waters. <laughs> and um, not just his decision to leave Pink Floyd in, 80, in 1985, it's a colossal 37 years ago now, but also mm. his, his sort of baleful delusion that all of their fans would simply follow his erratic career path and abandoned Gilmore, Mason and Wright. Uh, it didn't happen, Jules. And I suggest he's railed against this for the last 37 years. I mean, I think your description of him at the top of that is is it probably pretty much says it all, doesn't it? I find him so tedious. And, and actually... I, I really like a lot of Pink Floyd, but I felt that he was more responsible for the, the slightly more tedious end of the Pink <laughs> Floyd spectrum. So the wall I associate with him yes. and and the fact that another brick in the wall, the song itself is is a, is a you know a genuinely great and rousing song that just gets lost in this daft guitar work. And, and is just I don't know, I, I, I you know. I'm always quite willing to eye roll about major uh, sort of elder statesmen of rock. I, I was having a conversation yeah. with this on Friday night, which, uh, yes, I, I'm the inner riot girl in me is very resistant of this kind of nonsense, I think. Um, I mean, fair play to him that he had, although I, I associate him with the tedium of Pink Floyd, um, he had been their primary songwriter and creative force since Sid Barrett left in 1968. So he had done the heavy lifting for a very long time and, and you know, been the main writer behind a lot of the, the records that I do really, really like. Um, 
<laughs> but he made the, dis- the the mistake, this points out here, that I think lots of people do in public life when they leave lots of different institutions, by which I mean musical institutions, sporting institutions, political parties, they mistake themselves as being the brand when in yes. fact it is the institution that is the brand and the brand is always bigger than anybody in it. And I think he thought that Roger Waters was the famous brand, even and perhaps with some justification given he'd written a lot of their music. But no, it wasn't. People associate them. People don't think that deeply. They they associate Pink Floyd music with Pink Floyd. And you know what? Sometimes you need that institution. Can you imagine speaking about the passing of Chrissy McVie the other week? Can you imagine if Chrissy McVie, as we say, a woman that could probably walk down most roads, major thoroughfares in Britain without being recognised very much, I sense. Yeah. What is she? she? She was the brains behind a lot of Fleetwood Mac's biggest hits. Would she have had a very, I mean, she did have a solo career, but would she well, have? Not, would, not would, very successful one. Well, quite. But then I don't think she quite did it in the same way what Roger yeah. Waters. But you can't yeah. really imagine her leaving Fleetwood Mac and, and you know, and also <laughs> I don't think she would have done in the same kind of slightly no, egotistical way, I think. So, so yeah, it's, um, but he didn't seem to be able to, um, to sort of embrace that and there is something quite ent- entertaining and and sort of bathos about i never know what the the the, the, the difference is between pathos and bathos but there is something quite pathetic about um in 1987 I, I mean it's almost like a film it's almost like spinal tap being built below the puppet show in the in the pink floyd and roger waters both went on separate tours at the same time mm. and Waters faced oceans of empty seats in front of him, whilst Pink Floyd are playing multiple nights in football stadiums, sometimes right. in the same place. Um, yeah. And it drove him wild. Um, he said, if one of us was going to be called Pink Floyd, it's me, he said to Rolling Stone in 1987. That's my pig up there. Uh, that is that is brilliant. That's yeah. my pig up there. Uh, that's my plane <laughs> crashing. It's their dry eyes. Um, yeah. Yes. And as, you, as we say, never assume it's all about you. And history is littered in different sectors with people that thought that they were important when it was fat. In fact, the thing they were in that was important. And that was the thing that survived. Do you know, we've joked before that Roger Waters, um, as you mentioned, is, is eternally either touring the Wall album or re-recording it. And lo and yes. behold, oh, news gosh. this week, at the headline, former Pink Floyd leader Roger Waters shares <laughs> lockdown recordings of songs from The Wall and The Final oh, Cut. Oh, yet again, he's pumping out yet new yes. versions. I mean, it's like Paul McCartney re-releasing different versions of Love Me Do every year. Yes, it's just exactly. really rather sad. It's, it's, it is. And also, I love the fact that the front of that headline is former Pink former Floyd. Former Pink Floyd. Those lead, are the yeah. first three, those the first four words of the headline. Roger yes. Waters does not appear before Pink no. Floyd in that headline. No. That says it all, doesn't there was there were several questionable questionable uh, times in David Bowie's life that he's been very yes. lucky that they've been never really been exposed. They're, they're not really up. stark, have they? They've not no, really. No, they've not very, really. Very very lucky. Know, yeah. It's uh, either lucky or excellent image management by people right, around right. here. Uh, bundling in at number eighteen in the chart mm. of the worst decisions uh, in musical history. That time in the mid nineteen seventies when cocaine drenched David Bowie drove mm. through Victoria Station. And, and well, um, was he waving to fans, Jules, or was he giving a salute more usually seen being delivered by a bloke called Adolf? He went through a bit of a. Uh, I, mean, I was going to say he went through a bit of an hour of time. I, I mean, I mean uh, the Dame Dave, not Adolf, who who 
you know, was a bit of a time in general, wasn't he? But um, but yeah, it, it's. I mean, he just seemed to have this really weird, weird moment, didn't he? Where he just, yeah, was sort of ice bound by pharmaceuticals and goodness knows what. Um, but the thing is, they could have probably, they could have probably got away with this. Because, you know, it, it does make me think of the brilliant parody in Father Ted, where where Ted gets embroiled in being accused of a Nazi through various unfortunate incidents, including a bit where he tries to wave to some people outside and has tried to clean a window unsuccessfully. And <laughs> he appears to be saluting whilst having a Hitler moustache with the mark on the window that happens to be in front of his in front of his nose at that point. It's genuinely brilliant comedy as much of Father Ted is. Obviously, I have views on on its on its creator and the path has yeah. gone down since but um uh, enormous fan of of that i mean had it just been david bowie just you know waving in a slightly erratic way they probably would have gone oh it, it was just the way his arm was up it wasn't anything to do with that yes. unfortunately Uh-oh. if you are then going on to give interviews he gave an interview to playboy of all places in 1976 i believe very strongly in fascism he said adolf hitler was one of the first rock stars Uh oh. i mean that is that's that's difficult to contextualize isn't it to put it very very mildly um it's um and i like the white powder or was it the real bowie talking well, and this this is it, isn't it, really? Um, it, it, it Station to Station, which was his 1976 mm. brilliant, brilliant album, would not have been made without without the white powder, apparently. Mm. And I think Rolling Stone put this in. I think I, I, I do like a lot of writing in Rolling Stone. They seem to get this mm. tone right. And I love this kind of um, this this understatement, this rather dark understatement prefacing the anecdote from Playboy. But it took a tremendous toll on his mental health since he was staying awake for days on end. His unique sleep schedule might be one reason he offered up this notorious. So yes, David Bowie's unique sleep schedule and the underlying reasons for it, perhaps doing the thing there. I mean, in terms of hey kids don't do cocaine, I haven't even well a, a, a milder yet perhaps equally profound. But lovers of pop music, Mike argue. Yeah. Um, a friend of mine was was living a lifestyle based around that a few years ago, and has since decided that's not a good a good way to live, which yeah. I'm delighted by. But um, I made the point um we we, he was he was djing out one evening at the sort of grip of this madness and and was playing some things that were very odd and afterwards a day or two later said to me do you know when i went home the other night at five o'clock in the morning i listened to the sign of a by base of bass and it sounded like the best pop record that had ever been (laughs) written and that juliet is why you should never take cocaine Mm. and and you know admittedly he had not called anybody a nazi or or indeed worshipped any kind of terrible people it was only ace of base who at the time of writing have not been revealed to be terrible people in any way shape or form but um but yes perhaps a cautionary tale from both from both people there i suspect eric clapton is another eject um oh, who you man. would think would i mean you learn. could just stop the story there couldn't you really <laughs> Well, you think he'd learn from previous uh, stupidities 50 years ago before throwing himself into further controversy by stupid decision making. But no, here he is at number four in the Rolling Stone list, uh, chosen because of his endorsement of conspiracy theories about covid vaccines. Um, I mean, Jules, if he had any medical qualifications, I'd listen to his ramblings. But essentially, he's Grandpa Simpson shaking his fist at the sky. 
Oh, absolutely. Old man yells at Cloud is, is, is Eric Clapton just in general, really. Although this is where I do have to take issue with, with the Rolling Stones writing here. Yeah. There are parts of this article that are great and there are parts that I have some issues with. Oh. And this is one of them in that, yes, I completely agree that Eric, as the headline says, Eric Clapton goes all in on vaccine conspiracy nonsense, which I mean, really much that is almost full, the full-esque in its kind of, it could be a song title from Marky <laughs> Smith, couldn't it, in its kind of construction. But I have some issue here. Um, up until and this links to the David Bowie thing previously. Right. Up until 2020, Eric Clapton had a pretty sterling reputation in the rock community, which oh. I suddenly remember. Rock Against Racism was yes. pretty much set up because of him. Detractors, yes, why are we using that word? Pointed to his shockingly racist onstage tirade in 1976, but that was largely swept under the rug or dismissed as the product of way too much cocaine. Well, yes and no, I think really. Rock Against, and this is where it's an maybe it's an american perspective here that rock against racism was a huge thing culturally here in the uk in the late mm. 70s i mean you were there at the time weren't you was, it, was, yeah. it was it was a big do apparently not according to our american friends but anyway um I, the thing that i that i also find quite entertaining is him and also the van morrison conspiracy theory stuff they, they they're trying to give you these kind of um you know this is really profound man and it's really important i'm going to write this really important piece of music and selling this and it's always just so basic isn't it as it puts it here this has got to stop he sings on this has got to stop i mean you know (laughs) this is not this is not exact i mean you know i know that i have occasionally expressed nuanced views on dylan in this podcast but it's it's not exactly like a rolling stone is it in terms of in terms of state of the nation addresses um I think I might read a bit of this has got to stop, if only because it's difficult. How do you deal with malign threats like these people? Do you take them seriously or do you just laugh at them? And this, this, you know, speaks to, you know, that uh, no one knew how to deal with Trump, did they, when they first come out? No yeah, one took them seriously at yeah. all. And but then having said that, why should I have to take somebody seriously who releases as art enough is enough? I can't take this BS any longer. It's gone far enough. If you want to claim my soul, you'll have to come and break down this this door. Why do I have to take that seriously, Seti? Mm. Why do I have to say that this is good art and a valid view when it is very clearly neither? Yeah, the thing with Clapton, apart from his COVID conspiracy stuff and those stupid albums and songs that you referred to, those onstage racist uh, screechings back in 1976, yes. I mean, he used a porrent. Uh, abhorrent language and and Enoch Enoch Powell's rivers of blood speech that he was referencing this was not a mild reference was it this was all in the thing that has always turned me off about Clapton on this is it it felt like he was used to saying those terrible horrible Mm. words it didn't feel like a one-off and I think rather like Bowie he was very lucky that in those days these stories tended to stay confined to the NME yes. and Melody Maker whereas today of course they would lead the news on They'd TV. They'd be viral wouldn't print. they they would, they would go there yeah. was no virality then. And the other thing that I think he dug himself even even deeper in with the old and I, I, I just have this fixation when people say this sort of stuff when they try then and say at the very end of uh, a rant yeah but you know half my friends are black you know it's you know just because your neighbour's 
grandparents uh, came over from Jamaica and the fact that you occasionally, you know, have a chat with them over the garden fence. That doesn't mean that you're, you know, you're not a racist. That's the half my friends are black thing always makes me shudder with horror. And and also I I see the reverse flip of that. I agree with you completely, by the way. And I see the reverse flip of that and that you say, oh, so in which case, if half your friends are black, why are you being such a bad yes. friend by talking about black people in this way? Clearly, you're if you're not a racist, you are a terrible, terrible friend because you are because you feel are you really the sort of person then that feels that they can say that sort of thing and has no care for their friends, has no care yes. appreciation of their experience, has no care for how they might feel to hear their friend saying dreadful, dreadful things about about you know about where they come from about their lives i just yeah i find that really eye-rolly and i find the type that this article and it's sort of this one of these weird things it's a list article that appears to be all things to all people and that they've got decisions that are sort of they seem to be trying to judge behaviour and taste at the same time. So they've included, as well as, admittedly, it's 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 in rank order, but as well as including Elton, you know, sort of Eric Clapton's racism, they're including Elton John recording a disco album. I wouldn't necessarily <laughs> put those not really. in the same. It's not <laughs> really compared. Yeah. It's not might not be my favourite, but there's some interesting thing. Like they said, the Sex Pistols fire talented bassist Glenn Matlock, replacing with human rubbish heap Sid Vicious. That's an interesting. <laughs> one in that it you know it, it made it, it sort of made the sex pistols stars but at what cost i think that's a really interesting one the beach boys skipping the monterey pop festival now that is very interesting there's got some lovely sliding doors moments in it there but then they they um and then they put that with like you know yes hires the buggles I did, why is that a number 45? I, there are aspects of this article that I find really interesting. Ticketmaster in, introduces dynamic pricing system. Now, we've spoken about this before, and that's yeah. very much interesting and deserving to be on there. It's a real random mix, this article. It's almost, it is almost, ironically, old man yells at cloud in itself in that it is trying to deal with everything they don't like that has ever happened of any kind of level, artistic, moral, whatever, and to put it in the same article it's 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 an interesting endeavor but it is rather uneven in places if you wish to read more about the worst decisions in music history you can find it on the rolling stone um, website coming next why doesn't anyone like you two and (laughs) (laughs) remembering jet black um that's right after leah weller
albums I've played most this year and certainly I think my favourite album of 2022. It's a track that's been released as a single. It's taken from the splendid album, her debut album, Freedom, mm. Leah Weller and Wonder. Very good. So it's, a, it's an album worth exploring. I remember back in 1980 hearing I Will Follow by U2. Mm. And in a sort of post-punk, new wave kind of vibe, rather liked it. A decent pop song, mateys chiming guitar. But in the mm-hmm. following 42 years, I've gone from rather liked to, <laughs> oh, no, it's you 2 again, uh, whenever they pop up. And it became clear that the bobble-hatted guitar bloke, Edge, really only had that one chiming guitar sound indeed and, although can i just can i just fact check you very briefly i don't doesn't i don't think he wears hats with bubbles on i think they're just woolen hats just woolen hats without the bubble. i think so my apologies uh, i don't want us to be accused of spreading fake no, news no, maybe, maybe snip the bubble off yeah um, well, i mean i've got no beef with the other two quiet uh chaps uh yes, but the, the more mr bono started telling us well, i wish he actually i wish he did have a little bubble on the top of that hat the, the picture of it now i i rather like whenever he would shake his you know his head around yes. as he's doing his guitar chiming thing you a know the little bobble on the top yeah. uh you know wibbling about that'd be quite amusing i think but no mr <laughs> bono telling us all where we're going wrong in our lives and um you know, unbelievably gained access to world leaders from mm. presidents to popes the more about of that I, I wanted to burn every u2 record on on the planet so um yeah jules here we are this week uh woolly woolly hat without the bobble uh and uh, and all um being described incredibly by joe biden president biden as a bridge between ireland and america as they receive the apparently prestigious kennedy center honors mm, i mean in fairness that's probably that is probably true actually um I'd, weirdly oh. i know i was about to say yeah. oh you know isn't it just an absolute nightmare when you know people get people that you you know that, that you have no idea about but politicians you know trying to blunder oh, into yeah. things yeah. but actually i think if you are an irish american but you two are probably your band aren't they um i i can see that as a i can see that as a comment that might have mm. some validity like you i have been eye rolly about you two for a very long time and, and ironically did not didn't did not glue the two together i had a conversation in a public house on friday evening about you two um with someone who it, it very much likes you two but and, and you know but but is f- fighting against this kind of eye rollingness <laughs> about later period you two yeah. um, and i i explained speaking to her that that actually my favorite bits of you two is when they go really weird so so i mean you, you there is no arguing that the joshua tree is a classic album you can't argue against that i think and i and also quite like the unforgettable fire but for me the, the, as we talked about previously the lemon tour period you two at their most ridiculous actung baby and um and the, the one with discotech on it that i've picked previously for the podcast yeah. Um, the video of them with the edge in a feather boa. Um, I, I very much enjoyed them not taking themselves very seriously at that point. That's why you two are enjoyable because they weren't taking themselves massively, massively seriously. And that's the problem Bono tends to. And it's then rather off putting, I think, really. As you say, this kind of inexplicable shamanic kind of worldly <laughs> pose that he adopted was sort of like the beginning of the end. Someone, do you remember when they gave their album away? That, oh, that, that's why that appeared in the, in the, in the worst decisions 
ever yes. with iTunes. Like really sort of, I don't want to say, well, it's selling out, isn't it? There isn't another phrase as cliched as that is. But I remember someone writing on a, a sort of a meme that went viral on Facebook at the time. Someone saying, um, you two are like the Tory government in Britain in that they remain massively popular, even though nobody you know actually likes them. To which someone wrote underneath, yes, and the last U2 album was like the last Tory government, which was like, <laughs> which meant that I ca- I got it when I categorically did not want it. So, so yeah, there is, it's funny, isn't it? Yeah. U2 seem to be one of those kind of, lots of people seem to quite quietly like U2 and just go along with them. I, I, I don't think they're as big now as they once were. I, I think that actually... I, I I remember the 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 author uh, John O'Farrell writing um the the, the Labour author writing hmm. that um him joining the Labour Party in the eighties and he said oh, as a teenager I had the I had the kind of knack of joining of arriving at a party just as everybody else was starting to leave <laughs> and he felt that, La- that him being in Labour was the same I feel that way about you too I started getting into them in the nineties when people you know the late nineties when they went weird and no one really liked them anymore <laughs> and and it, it, they they seem to still be big in two thousand in the early 2000s i i've got um uh, all that you can't leave behind which just got stuck in a moment and beautiful day and the sort of the, that kind of stuff and then i think vertigo was quite big after that with how to dismantle an atomic bomb and then they just seemed i i think that i think the turning point was the itunes point in 2009 mm-hmm. i think that was the moment which people were like oh for goodness sake and i think that probably that was the i mean you know they are still big it's just the charts that got too small presumably so but um but yeah it's weird isn't it they produce some great music but it is that kind of air of ballast around them and again in the course of this conversation i was rehearsing the theory that me and a university housemate of mine have for years which is of those sort of initially interesting slightly underground bands of the of the late 70s early 80s that went on to have huge stadium rock careers perhaps slightly unexpectedly with you know politically engaged interesting shamanic frontmen there's two of these bands city there's you hmm. two and there's rem and my hmm. theory and my housemate's theory is that you can like both but you are a like Beatles and the Rolling Stones you are essentially one but not the but but not right. quite to the same extent the other and I am on the REM side of the fence and probably always will be um I yeah mm. I, I prefer what they do again they had a tailing off at the end of their career but unlike you two they knew when to call it a day I think and and so it's a beautiful day some might say but but anyway yes, it's, um, thank you thanks so much but um but yeah so they're weird. It's a weird one, you two. I never quite know what to say about them, really. Yeah, the shamanic aspect of Bono that you beautifully described there. I think many, many musicians who start off just wanting their music to be heard become yes. deluded by fame yes. and begin to believe, as they continue to be surrounded by yes men and yes women, that yes. their skill also includes the capacity to save the world. And I think Bono has certainly been guilty of that. Um, and yeah, I yes, mean, the assumption that, that what they have to say is important that the, and that we should all listen to it is, yes, is it, exactly. sort of that thing, isn't it? And the, the fact that you know that when they polluted our iPhones with their uh, <laughs> unrequested, you know, unrequested uh, album, I, I thought it always amused me that Apple had to create a tool to give iPhone users the ability to delete the album with one click. And um, mm. this, this, this <laughs> quote um, by by Mr. Bono: "I thought if we could just put our music within reach of people, they might choose to reach out toward it." Uh, you know, to which <laughs> 
Most people oh, said, well, no thanks, mate, didn't they, really? Exactly. I mean, that is such a ponderous way of yeah. saying, um, no one, people aren't buying our music as much, so we're going to find a way of foisting it on them anyway. <laughs> That's essentially yeah. what that is, isn't yeah. it? Oh, going a bit Diana Ross there, reaching out and touching somebody's oh, hand. It's, it's, no, not for me. We were talking earlier about how little some items of rock music were reported in decades mm. gone by. And when the news yes. came in this week that Jet Black, the drummer of the Stranglers, had died yes. at the age of 84. Which was occurred, older than I thought he was. Yes, than, again, like Chrissy McGee. Older than Ringo and Paul McCartney. To be honest. But it occurred to me that when the Stranglers broke through on the, on, on the back of punk, mm. Jet Black was already approaching his 40th birthday. But yes. now that... The publicity at the time was that he was 29. And we all thought rather <laughs> patronisingly, oh, this old bloke still playing the drums. And um, now, of course, we, we have Ringo touring at 82 years of age playing mm. the drums. So in this age, Jet Black would never have got away with uh, saying he was in his 20s when he was 40. But all, almost unlikely, Jules, owner of a fleet of ice cream vans and an off licence before the success of the Stranglers. I mean, that is incredible. That's right out there with, you know, some of the old school footballers like Vinnie Jones and Ian Wright mm. being sort of welders and things yes. before they before they became football. I did know about the ice cream vans, actually. I didn't know about the off license, but I yeah. knew about the ice cream vans. And But the funny thing is, as you say, the difference in reporting now, we seem mm. to be much more interested. I mean, this is a much longer conversation that we can have another week, I think. But mm. people seem to be more interested in, in reporting the ephemera, the kind of the inconsequential, the weird sort of quirks um now and now we would never hear the end of jet black's ice cream vans they would no, be at, true, that would be that true. would be the yeah. you know that would be constantly constantly referenced on things it would be memed to death on the internet mm. you know it would, it would have all that kind of stuff and yet it was very much it, it is the sort of thing you could ask in a hard round in a pub quiz as to as to you know or who had a fleet of ice cream vans before they mm. before they you know before they became famous and it, it, it goes to show sort of how some bands are kind of part of the canon and some never quite reach, you know, sort of canonical status in that would anybody under 40 at a pub quiz know who even who the Stranglers were? Never mind Probably Jet Mack. Uh, I don't, you know, they're not quite yeah. the Sex Pistols. I mean, I think I really like the Stranglers. I think they're a really interesting and underrated band. And when I first started collecting records as a teenager, when the late 90s, early noughties, when people weren't really collecting records very much anymore. Um, I used to come across loads of Stranglers, seven-inch singles. And I've got, and I'd sort of semi-collect Stranglers singles as a result. And I think they're really interesting because they were sort of a bit too prog to be punk, really. And there aren't many bands that are, is, you put it really well when you said they became famous off the back of punk mm. and i think that without quite being punk and maybe maybe they suffered a bit by not being a genre perhaps so now when we're sort of heritizing pub as we are a heritage you know sort of heritage in those heritage tours and we've talked previously on this podcast with great despair about how the 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 so-called ethos of punk even if it ever really existed was um you know, has since been overridden by stupid tie-ins and endless re-releases of God Save the Queen, which I presume we're at names with now, and mm. uh, and you know all that kind of stuff. That 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 you know that, that equally there is a sort of canon to punk, isn't there? I guess, and the Stranglers have been sort of locked out of all of those worlds, really. And it's a pity because I think they're a much more interesting band than people give them credit for. And I think that Jet Bat was a great drummer, and I love the fact that they were pretending he was twenty nine when he was forty. The um, 
doesn't tend to happen anymore. The last time I really... Well, you can't get away with it now. This yeah. was in a pre-internet. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. This this was when you just saw people when you just saw people's pictures on the paper and they could hide behind dry ice on top of the pops and you didn't really <laughs> see people elsewhere, did you? The last I think big moment I remember that was the widespread scepticism in the mid nineties about the true age of Jerry Halliwell. That was the last time I yes. remember there being a huge debate about showbiz ages. Yes. But yes. R.I.P. Jet, Jet Black, the everyone's favourite ice cream man. Indeed. Thanks very much for listening this week. Good to have you there. As ever, I agree with Seti. One of the best decisions you can make in music hey. history is to listen to Juliet's radio <laughs> show. I mean, your flim flam is top notch. It doesn't get any better. PR people, here's your man. Um, yeah, I do a, a radio show as Terence very kindly, but some might say too kindly says on a noise box radio on online station. No, it's, very, noise... it's genuinely very, very good. I love it. Well, that, I, I really appreciate that. Thank you. It's one of those things that is perhaps a bit niche and a bit cult, but um, but I very much enjoy doing it. And the people that listen, as you've just heard evidence of, seem to very much enjoy it, which is good news. Um, Noiseboxradio.com, 7 to 9 p.m. Sunday evenings. Um, smooth sailing, which is just a way to relax at the end of a week and to, to sort of gingerly approach a new one by listening to the best in Yacht Rock, M.O.R., A.O.R., classic pop, easy listening, all that sort of, you know, that 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 sort of flim flam if i might put it but it's a very relaxing time to spend a couple of hours and if you can't be with us at the time you can go on to mixcloud.com search for noisebox radio and smooth sailings passim will be amongst all of the shows from the station that are uploaded to the channel there and now juliet a song that sounded like it came from another world back in 1981 Absolutely so. And and so I had a, a strange but rather lovely experience with this song a couple of weeks ago. And you say it sounds like it comes from another world mm. from I'm going to say beyond the other side here, I think, mm, as such okay. as it is. So I had the, the, the pleasure of going up to um to to see my dear friend becca in york recently and her late husband neil was a very very good friend of mine that sadly was lost to us about three years ago and he she has basically trying to work out what to do with a record collection that is even more out of control than my own settee and i i arrived that's saying other something people, isn't it and i arrived and some other people have been there already and it was the first time i had been to their house since he sort of passed because of covid intervening and i helped her in in trying to catalogue various singles and there were various albums that were already been catalogued and she said oh we know do do it was lovely i was given some pj harvey records which i will treasure for the rest of my life but she also said oh you know here's a list takes take some things that you think you would like that you'd remind remind you neil or things that you would just enjoy because neil would like you to have things that you would just enjoy and i've always really loved oh superman by laurie anderson as you say sounds like nothing else and there was a morning where she went out to have a brace fitted to her teeth because life just continues to carry on. Yeah. And I was at home in the house sort of finding records and, and going through things. And a quiet sort of Monday morning off work when it, when it, I, I don't suppose you have this now, city, but if you've ever had a sort of an office job or a sort of a nine to five job, there's something quite surreal about being, being not working when everyone else is working. Mm. It still feels like dragging off school, even if you <laughs> put his leave. And if you're in this kind of weird bubble where the world is kind of literally happening outside the door and you're just sort of stood there inside. And 
I, 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 of course, I started with the collection alphabetical order and I immediately hit on Laurie Anderson and Big Science, the album from which this comes. And I put it on and it just it felt uh, the, the lovely sort of out there-ness of this. The fact that someone is apparently the bit where she sings like she's on an answer phone and she says, I'm not really here at the moment. I'm not here at the mm-hmm. moment. You'll have to leave a message. And I felt very briefly like that was sort of Neil saying hello to me from beyond the grave mm-hmm. as I went through mm-hmm. his records and and just... Uh, you know, an incredibly moving moment, and mm. I love this song, and and so I thought I would play it, just because, just for anybody really that has yeah. someone that isn't here anymore. Because do people ever leave us? Probably not. If you go through their record collections and and find more Rocket from the Crypt records that I ever thought existed, frankly, we would go, oh, what's this? Oh, it's Rocket from the Crypt for for about sort of two hours. But a uh, a pleasure to find this, a record that I will treasure, a lovely moment that I had with my friend, despite the fact that he wasn't actually here, um, but always will be. Oh, Superman by Laurie Anderson. Huh? Okay, who is this really? 
You've been listening to a Parish Council production. Mm-hmm.